Welcome to the Post Talk Live podcast, where we host live salon gatherings for curious people around the world. Hosted by me, Susan McTavish Best. Hi, folks. Thank you for joining today's Post Talk Salon on songwriting. And that song, um, that artist, is uh, a friend of mine and um, of our uh, guest today. Uh, his name, the artist is called Artie. And Brett Basick, his manager, is going to be joining us, and David Pramick, who is a songwriter and a producer. And so the topic today is songwriting your way to the Grammys, and David has been nominated for a number of them. So let's welcome these guys. Hey, David. Hi. Hey. Hey, Brett. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yay. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> Thanks for so, having us. We're not all we're not all in California, Brett. You're in Connecticut. You're back yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah. You're back in bougie Connecticut. Exactly. <laughs> we're charcuterie and everything. Charcuterie, yeah. Brett and I always joke that we love nothing better than a good charcuterie plate, and I think that might have been from our, uh, our upbringing in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and David, you're <laughs> David. You're in California, I think. Is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in Encino. No, very nice. Okay, so Brett, you run Renegade Songs, and David, you're a producer and a songwriter, and you two work together. Can you help uh, me and uh, the world out there understand both what you do and then how you work together? So, Brett, what do you do? Um, so, I primarily work with songwriters and producers. Um, already, the song you heard before. Yeah. By the way, side note is one of my favorite Artie songs. Oh, it you know, is. I don't think it got the attention it deserved. I so, love that song. I love so it. I love but it. David actually is the one playing the ukulele on that song, which I don't oh, think anyone knows. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> you don't know that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I primarily work with songwriters and producers on both the management side and the publishing side. I don't know. I've been doing this for six years now and fell in love with the songwriter community, realizing that they are kind of the lifeblood of the music business, in my opinion, and have been undervalued historically throughout the history of music. Um, when really pretty much, I mean, literally every song you've heard of, ever had songwriters behind them that, you know, could have been the artist, but, you know, a lot of times aren't the artist. So um, I've loved being an advocate for songwriters and helping put them in situations to succeed. Um, David being one of them. Yeah. And so David, you, I know you went to Berkeley. I realized we had that weird connection. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Um, Rob Gillies. Yep. Um, he's performed at a number of our salons. Wow. Uh, and, and how did you get into songwriting? Cause you know, people are always, you know, if you're in high school or in college um, and folks are into music, how did you land on songwriting? Yeah, that is uh, an interesting question. And just as an aside, I'm always fascinated with everyone's answer to this question because it's always different. Because songwriting, much like management and much like what you do, Susan, I, I kind of think is like it's it's not a job that's sitting there waiting for you to apply to or to think about. Um, so you sort of you fall into it or you figure it out or it's always different. But um yeah, how did I get here? I uh, Music was honestly the only thing I ever wanted to do. My dad is a piano player, and so growing up, that was it. Uh, the rule in the house was uh, that my, my dad couldn't force my brother not to play music, but the moment that I asked for a guitar, because I was jealous that a friend of mine got a guitar when I was 13, the moment I asked for a guitar, a day later, there was a guitar in my room. 
Um, yeah, and you guys had a band together, right? I think I read that in a 2008 clip in the Ventura oh. Times. <laughs> oh my God, you did digging, geez. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my brother and I had a band together. It was called Big Brother, and I am the big brother, but it was not about me. It was a 1984 reference. Okay. Um, but yeah, we had a band all throughout high school, and, and that was sort of the beginning of things for me because I was the front man and I wrote the songs. Um, for that band, and that was the first time that I started to think about arrangement, which is not too dissimilar from a production that I do now, or from songwriting. And then after that, um, I went to Berkeley, uh, learned a lot of skills, um, more so on the music theory side, and just like to get sharper and to get all the tools. It's not like you How can- How big is Berkeley? This is sort of a random question. How many people are in each class? I mean, graduating class. Uh, I don't have, I, I want to say there were 4,000 students total. Total. Okay. So graduating class. Also, I didn't graduate. Uh, one of the jokes about Berkeley, I'm sorry to anybody. No, no one did graduate from Berkeley. Yeah. You don't, because who's going to ask for a degree from in music? Like, Hey, produce my song. Did you go to school for it? You know, like that's not. Sorry, parents I know that have yeah. kids at Berkeley, which are a few. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's the most expensive college. It is, it is actually, at least, at least when I was going, I don't know about, you know, today. Uh, but it was at the time the ninth most expensive school in the country. Yeah, Bennington in front of it, but yeah. <laughs> which actually, just as a quick aside, just as part of my story, which was an important part, is right out of high school, I didn't apply to any colleges. I was not a great student in high school. I'm sorry, mom. Um, I, um, I I ended up by some random longer story than necessary, uh, got to audition to go to Berkeley after all, and I got a scholarship. And I remember calling my mom totally out of nowhere. Mom, mom, I got into Berkeley. Mom, can I go? This was an 08, right? Like my, my parents were comfortable, but like, you know, this is an 08 when they had just lost a lot of resources and, and we had to figure some stuff out. Um, and my mom's just like this long pause. No, like we can't, we can't afford this. And so the deal was instead I stayed at home. My parents got me a computer with some software Logic Pro to, to produce on, got me a computer. And I stayed at home for a year going to the local community college to get all the English and gen eds out of the way. Yeah. And I and essentially I learned how to produce in that year. I didn't really go to school. I didn't bother with that. I went enough to pass. Um, and I stayed at home and I like produced my first album and learned the bedrock of skill sets that you know now I do every day. For a it career. turned out to be really useful during quarantine when the rest of us are really learning how to use our computers. <laughs> yeah. and, do, and do recording in in ways that uh, we didn't know how to do before. Brett, who yeah. do you work with, Brett? We mentioned Artie and David. Yeah. I also work with uh, two other Berkeley grads. Or not, well, one, one of them is a Berkeley grad, uh, but Berkeley <laughs> alum, uh, Michael Jade and Charlie Snyder. Um, Charlie is also David's roommate. And I met, th I met Charlie through David. And then I actually think I met David through Michael. Both of them are like unbelievable songwriters who are now becoming, both of them are unbelievable producers as well, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Um, I work with uh, a couple of new guys um, coming up. Uh, so they're all pretty and, early musicians, right? That's what you're saying? What was that? They're all pretty early musicians, like early on in their career. Um, yeah, pretty much, you know, we're all under, everyone's under 30 years old and, you know, at the beginning stages of, you know, of their careers for sure, yeah. And David, David who are you working with? Another long. Who are you uh, writing songs for or of, of late that you can tell us? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I work with uh, a lot of people all over the place. 
Um, I recently had a song uh, with Selena Gomez on her album that came out in January. Um, I do a lot with this artist, Oliver Tree. I'm a big part of that project, and that is such a fun project. For those who don't know that music, check it out. It is awesome. Let's say it again. Oh, well, because we can run it along as a banner if I can oh, type sure. it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's Oliver Tree, spelled like you think it's spelled. Two okay. Um, and he's crazy. If you're going to watch his music, check out the YouTube. Check out the videos, too. It's absolutely a requirement, and it's so okay. Yeah, I've, I've done uh, a bunch with um, this uh, amazing electronic artist named Delinium. Um I just had a record come out with G-Eazy like three or four weeks ago. This amazing artist out of the UK named Mae Muller. Um, okay. I don't know, the list goes on. I've done things with Laney and Rag and Bone Man and X Ambassadors and BB Rexa and uh, this amazing okay. rock band called I Prevail. And I mean, a lot, you know I mean? I've, I've been doing this a, a while. And so uh, there's a good amount of things. Um, and what I really love about it is it's a really diverse genre set, you know, from hip hop to pop to rock and like really aggressive metal. And and, and I love that you say you've been doing it for a while. I remember when Brett was at the um, grand age of about 24 and it was about two in the morning, he was lamenting to me that really he was practically over the hill for the industry. <laughs> I'm really that I feel that way. <laughs> so, geez, I don't know how you feel now, but um, you it's really feel, you must feel like a senior. So, David, what have you been doing over the last couple of months? How have um, have you felt pressure to be productive during this time? Yes. Oh my God, I'm sure I'm not alone. Uh, in uh, every week has its flavor. And so some weeks I have been, I kind of have this saying that I remind myself is like some days you're either Superman or you're a slug. And there's apparently no in between during quarantine. So mm -hmm. some days I am so productive and I'm, I feel like I'm just smashing it. And then many days I am not, and that's a struggle. But no, I do definitely feel uh, a lot of need to be productive. And when I get things kind of tacked off my list, that feels pretty great. Um, things that I've been doing lately is just sort of finishing up a lot of records. Like right now, a lot of artists, almost because writing sessions can't happen in the traditional sense, they're happening in a, this type of way, but in the traditional sense, they're not. Um, a lot of artists are needing records to be finished up by producers. And I'm so fortunate because as a producer, I'm at the end of the production line. So I'm still able to do my job. You know, I'm in my studio here. That's why I'm surrounded in purple because I like the vibe. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, uh, it's been busy. It's You've been had a productive time. What about you, Brett? Have you had a productive time? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say there are some days where I'm just as busy as I've ever been. Um, as someone who doesn't have an office all, as it is and spends most of their time, like, just in meetings and on phone calls, you know, I have gotten to a point now over the last few months where I don't really feel a difference. I'm you know, there are new, there are things that I've wanted to do the last few years that I felt I didn't have time to. Um, for example, like start releasing songs as the record label is something that I've always thought was really, like was something that I could always do, but wanted to do it the right way. And, you know, quarantine has actually provided me the time to take a step back, look at the big picture and try out some new things that I'm like more willing to take risk on and, and put my time into. So. It's been I've, in a weird way. It's been a blessing in disguise. So it's been it's been a good time, David. Yeah. How do you work with with artists? Um, so are they are artists sent to you and you don't know them? Are they are they told you know that they're going to co-write a song with you and really it's 
you writing the song, do you ever write part of the song in advance and then sort of pretend that it's come from them? <laughs> um, yes to all of those things. <laughs> okay. um, I think it's such, a, it, it's such an interesting uh, industry because, <laughs> because and I, I had mentioned this to you on the phone too, it's like, it is very common for me to have something in my calendar that Brett or my publisher uh, prescription songs or uh, it, that someone else set up and put in my calendar and it has a couple names that I may know from having heard them and, you know, around the, the scene, but I don't know them personally. Right. Show up at my house, which is where my studio is. And we all get together and basically, you know, from one o'clock until let's say seven or sometimes later, we're expected to have a song completely done that we wrote with strangers that we met that day. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, that'll be writers or artists we've never met. And we're just going to get together and just try to make something happen. And sure. to answer your last question, do I come in with ideas? Sometimes I like to start from scratch a lot because okay you know, the artist, especially with artists, they're going to be the ones to sort of, I need to make sure that we're fitting what they're after. Cause at the end of the day, it's their project. So I don't want to try and impose my thing, but definitely I have like a couple of ideas in the bank just in case we need something that's just going to be helpful. So, I mean, when you say maybe they come in with ideas, maybe their label comes in with ideas. Do they have an obligation to be themselves? Um, and does that override their obligation to others, such as their labels or their label or their fans? And do you have to manage that? Yeah. Is that well, maybe like two cocktails in? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. That's right. I mean, that's actually really interesting. Sometimes it's it's difficult to manage because every single situation is a completely different chessboard. And so sure. I can't use what, whatever skills I might use with one artist, I can't use with the other. But, sure. yeah, you know, like when you say label for me, that's going to essentially become the A&R. The A&R is the representative right. of people that handles the music and creative process. And so that's my person. Like when I work with an artist, I'll oftentimes talk to the A&R and just find out what they're after. Generally speaking, for me, you know, the artist is the one that's going to put this music out. The artist is the one that's going to be representing this and playing this on tour for hopefully 30 years. And so for me, they, without a doubt, need yeah. final say, you know, but obviously for me, I'm also running a business and I need to feed the label just as much as the artist. And so. Oh, that's so interesting. So you're, you have to think ahead, right? It's not just yeah. that one. And okay. something that, you know, Dave and I have like been very conscience about the last five years is, you know, the first time I ever heard David's music, I was blown away by the way that he was able to take his guitar playing and his perspective and his songwriting, combine it together, do it in a unique way, and then transcend genres. And I don't think there are a lot of people that instinctually understand that or know how to do that. And I, I, I mean, David, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't even know if David knew that he was doing something so special and unique or doing that when I met him and it was actually really funny because I think the first few years of us working together was literally almost trying to, for me to have him trust himself that if he stays true to himself and provides himself and, and provides that value to artists, he can become the backbone for them. It's almost like he's the, uh, he can be the cinematographer for the, for the director and the actors and through his lens can, can, can control a completely different vibe for them. Um, I think, you know, one of the, or more so a director, one of the, a couple of the directors we would talk about early on was Quentin Tarantino and, um, you know, Tim Burton or Wes Anderson, how like you can watch one of their movies and their cinematography and their style is so specific that you can put whatever story, which in our case is a song into their world and it feels 
different and the actors can be themselves within that the confines of that world and i think now as we've gone on it's like you know i think we have a long way to go and i think we always will because dave and i are both people who continue to raise our own ceiling um but i think that you know when an artist at this point or an anr reach out they kind of have an idea of what how david is a director how he's a cinematographer in that way yeah. and we hope to get out of him something that that resembles like who they think he is and see how that combines with their sound. So I always say too, if like, if they think you're the right person for the project, for those reasons, then great. But if they don't, then that's totally okay because it's better about creatively if it's a match and that it creates the best art project um, that it can possibly be than, than the force something. And that's really important to us too. Yeah. You agree to that, David? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that's spot on. I mean, Brett and I have been, partners for a long time so i think like we have this ethos that we definitely share and that's one of them is like kind of just just i mean just to totally repeat what he said it's like i have a sound and it's a way better situation for a label or an artist or xyz to reach out to me for that sound than it is for them just to reach out to me randomly yeah random yeah. because if it's for that sound that's something i can do in my sleep i do it without trying and so i'll do it faster and better than anybody else right they'll get what they're after and so every party is just that much happier if it's not a match and i'm trying to and i feel like i'm trying to fit into uh, a, a sound or, or a sonic landscape that really isn't something natural to me I'm always happy to live up to a challenge. Like that's something that, you know. But you must want to push yourself beyond that sonic landscape. I mean, you're, you're still young in your career, but there yeah. must be, um, like, where are you going for influence? And is, is it, do you go into nature? Do you listen to other music? Or is it reading? Are you, you don't want to have that same sound only forever. Maybe you do. No. Yeah. No, no, no. I definitely, I definitely don't. And that's one of the great things about yeah. this is, is kind of like what Brett says is collaborating, combining genres. Like, yeah. You know, I, I just came, I mean, now maybe a year ago, I came off of a heavy, uh, heavy rock record or almost metal, like Screamo. And like some well, of you that. You used to get out. into that as a teenager, right? I think you told oh, me that. Oh, yeah, dude, dude. My, <laughs> my, my, we know you had it in you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, think, I think I come at most music. Big brother. <laughs> yeah. four. <laughs> let's go. I think, I think I come at most music from an aggressive standpoint. Like I don't only do aggressive music, but I love music that has teeth. I love music that makes you feel a little scared. That's just fun. Just I, I, have a, I have a photo of you when we had um, the Columbia record Grammy party, postdoc party here at my place. I think you're wearing a woolly cardigan. You don't look like. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, I'm not gonna walk. You've I'm not gonna walk sides. around like a goth, you know. I'm gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> You've got all sides. Okay, David. Do you think um, songwriters are getting paid fairly now? Um, in 2018, <laughs> the Music Modernization Act passed. Um, has that helped songwriters? It has helped. Yes. Okay. Um, no, songwriters are not getting paid for it. Okay. okay. No. Um, and, you know, I, I, I say this from a position of uh, privilege because as a producer, I have a total, and we don't need to get into the weeds of how music pays. That's a bit. Sure, different. sure, sure. But, a, but essentially. Entirely different conversation, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to get it. But just to, just just for the bedrock really fast, songwriters and producers have different income streams. Producers get to take part in songwriting income streams, but songwriters usually do not get to take part in, produ in producer income streams. Uh, so as a producer, I have that additional income stream. And so the money that I see, I mean, I share, I've been on songs with a lot of friends where I'm the producer and they're the writer. And while they are making some money and, and you know, it's not like they're 
totally broke, but mm-hmm. yeah. the, the wealth disparity between us isn't fair. And 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 I think something needs to be worked on there. You know, and I may, I think the major thing is just that streaming doesn't pay publishing and songwriting nearly right. as well as album sales used to back when that was still a thing, or obviously radio. Um, right. And so, like before, yes. Like before streaming became took hold and when albums were still happening, absolutely songwriters were paid totally great news. It was sure. everybody, but the 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 economic cycle, the economic payment stream has not caught up to the modern day. And I'm seeing a lot of my friends just not earn what they deserve. Yeah, um, and not not to get too deep into it either, but you know, the just a, a brief history is, you know, when when the royalty rates were created for how songwriters were paid from DSPs such as like Apple Music and Spotify, um, it was at a time before you know recorded music was anything close to what it is today. It was it had to do with like how sheet sheet music was written and and created. Uh, I, I think I think it was Dina Lapole. I, I don't remember the exact uh, years apart it was, but she was like, if we waited until from now until you know the next like the same amount of time between when the last law was created until the future to recreate it again it would be like in the 2100s so it's been a long time since they've figured out how to properly pay songwriters and i don't think they could have ever anticipated streaming being what it is definitely not 100 plus years ago um you know again going off of what david was saying you know a saying that we always say is, you know, we don't really feel like there's any middle class of songwriters and that's really difficult. You're either struggling and barely getting by and living off of a publishing advance if you're even in a publishing deal or you're making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And I think the the thing that we all have to figure out together at being a part of that community, um, including people like Dino Lapole, who's his lawyer, but also a huge lobbyist and advocate for songwriting. Yeah, amazing advocate. Dina's the best. Unbelievable. She's leading the way. It's like, how do we, how do we just create that middle class? So, uh, so our friends who are so unbelievably talented, but might might only be getting songs out, you know, still one a month. If you're having one a month out, one song out a month, that's unbelievable, and can make a really good living doing that and support themselves and feel like their career is being pushed forward so that they can wait mm-hmm. for that moment that they have that one song that goes top 10 at top 40 radio and they're making enough money to, you know, to send their kids to college one day. Yeah. And that's a really important thing that we all have to kind of, we're, and I think the music community, the songwriter and music community has come together, but we have to continue to come together to, to figure that out. Mm. TikTok, yeah. so many songs. <laughs> Well, TikTok's not paying. So much copyright infringement. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, it's great marketing. It's, it's phenomenal marketing. Oh, it's, it's, it's a good market. Okay. It's, I mean, for, it's, a, it's an important lawsuit. vehicle. Yeah. It's an important vehicle for marketing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, just, to, I don't personally know about the uh, economics of TikTok. I don't have an authoritative yeah. uh, yeah. perspective there. Well, certainly, you know, threats of lawsuits, but have not, I don't think, yeah. happened happen yet. Brett, moving quickly on to another topic from, from copyright infringement. Um, when you're working, I feel like you have this stable of, of artists, young artists under 30. Um, how do you prevent them from losing their sense of self? That's a good question. Um, I definitely feel like I, and I love 
sports metaphors. Um, they okay, use a lot of analogies and metaphors and almost play a, be try to become like a coach in a lot of ways of how to how to just you know build their confidence up. So I'm like you know if they're I, before I even sign someone, I usually am signing someone not just because they're good at everything, but because not only are they good at everything, but they have a couple of things that they're really great at, and I think those things that they're great at they can become the best at, and I want to push them to to take those aspects of themselves and and put themselves in the best position so that in five years, you know, that's that's the thing that that defines them. So I think when you're in the trenches, you, it's so easy for everybody to lose sight of that, including myself. Um, but I think along the way, I try to just give a lot of encouragement to be like, this is, you know, you know, you know, when they write a great song to make sure they feel like they know why I think it's a great song and what they did great about it. And if there's a song that we all feel they could have been better, you know, to know that at the end of the day, it's just like in, you know, just like in a lot of things, it's like, it's okay to have a bad day writing a song as long as you learn from it or as long as you took something out of it that can help you progress in your career. Um, which I think is another analogy I'll use going off of this is like, I'll be like, you know, if, how do I help you increase your probability of success? How do I put you, help you be put in a better position so that you're having more chances of getting lucky? Because if you're writing two, these, you know, some of these writers are writing 150 to 200 songs a year. That's more than one a month. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I mean, I'm saying, but you know, they're, they're writing that many, but yeah. if only 10 to 12 songs come out a year, they're considered, you know, very successful. And if right. two, three of those songs are hits, they're considered over, you know, if they can overachieve, you know, they're, yeah. they're considered some of the best songwriters of all time. So when you think about it from that perspective, I just try and encourage them to be like, you know, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a race. And it's about figuring out who you are and what's special about you and putting yourself in the best position. Because at the end of the day, once they write the song, the A&R hears it, the artist hears it, you know, the whole team's decide that this is going to be a, a single you can't control if some 15 year old girl posted on her TikTok three years after it's out and it becomes a hit or if some radio host takes a chance on it or somebody at Spotify or Apple take a chance on it. We can't control any of these things on, you know, even if the label chooses to make it a single, we can only just put ourselves in the best position to write great songs with great artists and give them the best chance to be put in that position. And that's, again, you control your own luck at that point. So it's about just encouragement, I think, and showing them like how to increase that probability of success. It's almost like you're a coach for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He, he is a coach. That's totally like a, a main function of his job. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you gonna have like a, uh, not a fraternity house, but you know, a physical space for them? I mean, it's actually interesting you bring that up. And David knows that when I talk about the overall vision for how I want to, you know, continue to push forward what I'm doing. It's so much about building this community. Um, before quarantine, I was already planning multiple camps of all different degrees and, um, you know, consulting with close friends of ours, like, you know, like Zach Williams, who's in the mental health space of how do I. Zach and I do it. We do the salon together tomorrow. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Our, I mean, our one he, salon. Yeah. Someone who I've asked so, so much advice for not, not just, uh, you know, in so many ways and on the business <laughs> side and on the uh, you know, creative side and on the, in the mental health space too, is how do, how do I increase the mental health and increase the probability of success for songwriters 
through that. And, um, and now is a really tough time. I mean, I think it's always a tough time on the oh mental God, health God, side, but right now, I mean, it's so isolating and I, and artists yeah. need collaboration. A lot of them, right? Well, like, yeah, so I mean, before this was going on, a big thing that I was doing was like these little, I was planning a bunch of these writing camps. I had one I was planning in Hawaii and we do one in Texas every year. And, you know, I've learned so much about the sense of community from that. And then my next step was how do you bring that sense of community to, to LA so that when you enter this physical space, you feel like, like get that same feeling you get when we're on a lake in Texas or on the beach in Hawaii, where you feel like you're entering this space where you can fully be creative and collaborate and have a support system and know that, you know, over time, this space can, can generate so many good records and, and relationships. Um, I don't know when I'd get to that point, but I definitely think, you know, you know, Dave, that's something that Dave and I have definitely talked about. It's like, well, you might, you might find, you might find real estate is more desirable <laughs> on okay. the buying and renting side later yeah. this autumn <laughs> than then it would have, would have been a year ago. A question for both of you. It seems like, both artists and fans and, you know, and the public um, are now more open to artists partnering up with brands and collaborating together. David, do you ever work with artists and brands together? Hmm. I don't think so. I'm not really like on the front end of that because I'm really on the, on the, on the behind the scenes component. I, mean, I think without David realizing it, I would say yes. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a part of I've been a part of those machines, but it's not like I'm interfacing with those brands. Okay, okay, so they come to you, so yeah, purely on the art side. But Brett, are you having? Are you say if with yeah. Artie or whomever, you know, if there's a brand interested in doing something, are you? How do you approach yeah. that conversation? You know, I love the world of advertising and brands, and when we're talking about the discrepancy in income for songwriters. Um, we call that sync money. Uh, you know, for that is some of the best ways to make like money right now and not have to wait for it. Um, I actually think that that's a way that David and I like really helped launch his career. I mean, if we look at some of the ads and brands that David was attached to early on just through his music. Um, you know, we're talking about optimum cable, Jeep, um, movies like, uh, you know, uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, the trailer for that, which I think Planet of the Apes is a brand, was the trailer that set that song off on a trajectory where that song wasn't really doing anything until that that ad. That ad so you are thinking about it for sure. And yeah. it pushed the dominoes to the point where two years later that song was three-time Grammy nominated. So I think yeah. um, I love partnering with, with brands and advertisements and film and TV opportunities, you know, there's multiple we're, we're working with right now that we're really excited about where I'm like, when you have this brand vehicle behind a song and you can still create a great song, it's such, the, the possibilities are endless and it comes up, comes up from money. It's, we, we love that. I think it's great. <laughs> um, virtual tipping has been big in Asia for, for a while and um, less so in America until COVID and I think both Spotify and SoundCloud added, you know, a virtual tipping jars. Do you, do you think that's around to stay? And, and what are your thoughts on that? Or, or do you think there's going to be more a move towards fan monetization, whether it's products and, and what have you? I, 
I feel like that might be around to stay. I feel like that might end up following a similar thing to the Twitch model. Okay. Well, yeah, that's what he's going to next say. Because we're all used to it on Twitch, for sure. Yeah. The majority like, of the world. You know what I mean? I think it's a new thing. Yeah. I think it's a new thing and it's a foreign concept, but I could, I would see that staying. I mean, why not? You know what I mean? Like if fans are, are about it and they want to do it. I mean, I, the artists are going to say yes. Why sure, not? Sure, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always preface this, this quote with another quote, which is like, you know, 50% of all quotes are probably made up. Um, <laughs> and it's a made up quote, but um, I heard, I once heard that they said like on average, 90% of the money an artist makes is from the top 10% of their fans. And I think when you think about it from that perspective, so many artists rely on those top 10% of their fans to support them for the entirety of their careers. So, you know, I think with no concerts right now and everything going on, like I, I haven't thought about it that much, but I can only imagine that fans will really want to give back to their favorite artists in a unique way. And I think that's really, really cool. And, yeah. and still feel, I think, still feel con connected to the artist. Um, let's see. I'm just trying to think any other, any other um, new ways of music consumption as a result of the last couple of months that you think are going to stick around. An, an interesting thing that I've seen um, that I've thought about doing a little bit, but I've seen other people doing it really well, like Ricky Reed's doing it really well, is producers, people who do what I do on the behind the scenes are stepping forward and doing a Twitch stream um are you guys using twitch we're streaming we're, are you guys using twitch we're streaming this on twitch right now oh love that that's awesome <laughs> i wish i was more you guys can give out give me a virtual tip he's <laughs> <laughs> <Everybody is> watching <laughs> i could use a virtual tip anyway <laughs> um no but that's that's a really interesting thing that i think has shown up almost exclusively from this whole covid thing yeah. um and I, you know, I, I'm not going to try to predict the future about what that'll be, but that's that's making these producers much more of a household name. Where traditionally we've been behind the scenes, and our names were only known by. It's so great! No, yeah. it's awesome, and, and, you know, and, I, and I assume that it's allowing them to monetize themselves in totally new and fresh ways. And, and if they have a splice pack, which is a totally different portion yeah. of monetization, and that's only going to feed that, like. It's, there's very interesting things happening right now. Are, are they doing it on, this is sort of getting into the nitty gritty. I mean, Twitch is mostly music. And then the other sections like podcasts and just chatting, particularly the podcasts, they're not that well used yet. But I feel like there is a lot of room for growth there. That if you wanted to get into it and you really pushed it, you, you could do that. Because so much of it is just really the gaming. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I would wonder if there is a way to do it where you're not pissing off an artist that you're showing their song in ahead, ahead of time. That's if it was the right artist yeah. to have David just sitting there and producing live, like I can't imagine there wouldn't be an audience for that. I think you brought up a good point. Oh, like, it would be so maybe, cool, maybe collaboration, thinking, yeah. Maybe thinking of something right now, an idea that David should pursue. <laughs> but like, you know, I think if you were creating a splice pack Okay, you got to get the, the really, really good cool. business account, though, internet, because there can't be any lag time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's, you know, if you're creating yeah. like a, if you're doing things that David owns, like like you were saying, like a splice pack. Yeah. I think you're, you know, David David is in, in control of how people hear that. And I think that, yeah. I do think there would be an audience that would want to see someone like David doing that. I think that's really cool. 
yeah, you just sort of sit back and let it happen in front of you. And particularly on the Twitch audience, which is much more yeah. a lot of just sort of sitting back and like watching stuff happen. Um, yeah. Okay, I've got a question for you, David. What is David's favorite combo of genres when he is creating? What does he feel goes best with the sound? Huh. Um, you know, it's funny. When I'm making music, I'm not thinking... Oh, a little bit of rock. I'm not thinking about spices like salt and pepper and turmeric. I'm, you know, it's, it's it's more like I'm just going with gut. Um, but I will say, like, like I said, I really like to incorporate uh, music that has teeth, uh, and that doesn't mean like always really aggressive stuff, but just a little bit of toothiness or or aggression is just something that feeds me on a personal level, and it works really well when it feeds the other people I'm collaborating with. Um, something I really like to use a lot is elements of gospel and like deep blues, things that feel like I love when he does that. Yeah, like yeah. kind of caught it like back in the bayou type feelings. And by the way, I'm from Southern California. I am not from the South. So I'm totally just like phoning it in. But like stuff. I'm in the valley, yeah. yeah. <laughs> David gets mad at me sometimes because he's he doesn't have as many of the opportunities to do that kind of music anymore just because <laughs> how crazy things are. So like sometimes when he sends me something like that, He's like, I know you're already, already going to tell me you wish I did this more, so don't say it. I'm like, yeah, I know. Literally, literally. <laughs> I love that. I, I get so excited. Just incorporating gospel, uh, especially like gospel backgrounds, things that feel like feeling, like emotion is just something that I just love to do. And it's, and it's you know, it's funny, like when you're creating, especially like doing what I do non-quarantine time when we have a session and we're expected to have a song done in the next six hours or so, Um there's a lot of urgency because when I say done, I mean like, like 80% there, like sure. Maybe a couple of edits here. Very there. stressful. If the chemistry is not there, it sounds extremely stressful to yes, me. Yes. Chemistry is everything. Like, it's like a date. This date has to work. And you're like, Oh yeah. And if it doesn't work, your publisher or your manager yeah. or the A&R is going to text you later. Hey, how'd it go? And what are you going to say? Like, Terrible. I hate them. Yeah, you know, you yeah. can't do that. Um, but no, like, but what I guess what I'm saying is like, uh, you know, there's such a quick amount of time and during that time, the song is being written and the production is being written. So I'm here at this desk. You can't see my whole infrastructure here, but yeah. I'm here at this desk uh, and I'm trying to make the track all the way through so that by the time we leave, there's something to listen to that feels good, you know? Right. Um, and so what I kind of do is I have a couple of things that I lean on. I don't like intellectually lean on them, but like if we need something and we need it fast, we need to sound good. I've got a couple of things that I do that like, oh, this will work. One okay. of them would be gospel. Uh, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a guitar player, so I'll just pick up a guitar and just start fiddling. And usually that brings something out because that's okay. my- You've got your tricks. I've got, got my tricks. <laughs> I've, got my, I've got my techniques. I've got my paintbrushes. You know what I mean? And, okay. Uh, yeah, well, you're, you're only going to get more. That's such a great like circle back to one of the first things we talked about, which is like, I think instinctually David has now like grown into knowing exactly who he is as a producer. And I think there's no ceiling on how that can evolve and grow. But I think at, at, in its basic form, if you strip everything back to his style, it's still there. You know, the, the bones are still there and that will always be there with him. And, and then it's just a matter of like, how do you how do you build off of that? Depending on the direction and genre it can go. Well, I think yeah. that's a great way to end, guys. Thank you so much. This yeah. is yeah. great. I loved Thank it. You. I think I think you should definitely like maybe do a weekly filming of uh, your work. I think that would be a ton of fun. It <laughs> it would be fun. I've actually thought about it. I've even like set up a whole template for it. I think Brett actually touched on it. It's like the the main problem is. How can I work on music for an artist, for a label that is not out yet, 
but I'm showing it. You know, that's like you'll figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get it. Fun. You'll figure it out because maybe no one else is doing it, and so someone people always want to be the first in doing something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Post Hoc Digital Salon with Susan McTavish Best. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It really does make a difference. If you don't already, please make sure to follow us on social media. That's at McTavish Best on both Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for attending our digital salon.